podcast ain't played nobody. Um, going to be pretty honest about this one, Bill. We are recording Wednesday morning. Yep. Today is February the 21st. Um, I put out a tweet around, let's see, it's 11 a.m. In, in God's country, central time zone. And three hours ago, Twitter is telling me that at 8.24 a.m., I put out our usual standard tweet, which is that we we're recording today. We're talking about the Kisa, and we were going to do for uh, questions. Um, we were going to kind of riff. I had a couple ideas. That's all kind of been shot to hell. Um, we can't get into specifics at the moment, but there have been some layoffs at our company. Um, Bill and I are alive as we record this, alive in the employed sense. <laughs> well, and, um, and in the alive sense. But yeah, and, and the I mean. We're fine. Bill's preview series is marching on. I'm making fun of Imgo blog on Twitter. Like everything's okay, uh, but um, morale is low. Energy is not where it should be for the podcast. I think that's pretty apparent. But uh, but on we go. Um, this is podcast name played nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey at thirty eight Godfrey. Um, yeah. I tell you what, we're going to riff today. Yep. Um, we can't really talk about sort of a massive series of elephants walking through our room, um, but what we can do is try and clear the clear the register as much as possible. In fact, we can. Um, we haven't talked about this. We've been talking about a litany of other more important things before we went on the air. Um, but Bill, uh, do you just want to mailbag the hell out of this and let the listeners carry <laughs> us, or what do that's, you want to do? That's what I, I have. I, I, it's very hard for me to be cogent and lucid and and with it right now. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing. This is a very good day for a uh, uh, to be carried by Ask PAPN. Um, one, the one thing I don't know what's going to be public and what's not about who's been laid off. So I'll be very general. But um, the one thing I'll say is, you know, this team. Uh, this SB Nation team started as this weird hodgepodge collective <clears throat> as an SB Nation.com back in the 2010-11 range. And some of the people we picked up, uh, they, they kind of joined this little weird crew back then, um, are among those leaving now. And that really sucks because, I mean, this, is, this has been such a, not a DIY operation, but a, a very, there's been a core uh, group of people who, who truly made up SB Nation. And um, that some of those uh, will no longer be with us moving forward. And it just, uh, we've been really good about avoiding this sort of thing. And uh, now we're not. So really sucks. Ask PAPN, hashtag Ask PAPN. We can probably march through uh, the CUSA next week. I'll have you on pins and needles for CUSA coverage. You can just hang tight for a bit. How about that? <laughs> All right, let's jump in. Um, we had some really good morning submissions. Um, despite everything that's going on for us, we did have a really tight group of, uh, of questions come in. And um, as always, use the uh, hashtag AskPAPN um, to get us questions. It is so much better than sending us email. It's so much better than any other means by which you would ask a question. Um, it's just fast and, and fun for us. Um, okay, let's clear the register real fast. I'm going to start with a um, with a um, a colleague, Podcat, over at uh, he's at Valley Shook, and he is the I, I want to say he runs still the the. Let me know, Podcat. He runs the uh, LSU site for yeah, SB and, Nation and the, and the Valley Shook. Yeah. 
uh, after being passed over for big jobs, small jobs, jobs open all season, and jobs with unexpected emergency openings, is less miles done? Um, yeah, I think so. I think uh, yeah. I- Based on uh, based on the firsthand um, conversations that I've had with people who are in the uh, in the rooms and 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 in the market for head coaches in the past two cycles, yeah, he's done. Yeah, I think um, part of this is on him. Like, if he wanted to go low enough, then he could find a job. But he, it, I think it's pretty clear he doesn't want to. You know. I, I, I mean, you, you know, you're more connected to this than me. It doesn't even sound like he would really be all that interested in going down to like the G five, much less something lower than that. And so like, if he were, if he were to say like, I'm available to coach, I just want to coach. I miss coaching. Let's build some good football at whatever level, then he'd find a job, but he's probably done. I th- I'd say he's almost certainly done at the P five level. That's for, that's absolutely I don't know sure. If he, you bring up a good point, but as far as I know, and the conversations I've had, he was interested in, in a job period full stop um that did not happen i don't know if he necessarily pursued some of the mac openings that were available in the last two seasons specifically but i know that he had conversations for some high level uh some high level g5s good jobs um i think it's just a matter of you know a lot of people the bigger question is why i don't it's a combination of things i think one um we're just not seeing that anymore right we're not seeing uh the retread it's funny because it continues to, to to go on and on and on in the NFL, right? Like it's a head coach who's getting their third shot sometimes at a head coach job after really right. not showing for whatever reason that they couldn't get it done at the other two. You don't seem to see, you know, there's only 32 jobs in the NFL, but you don't really seem to see that in college too often. And I think some of the some of the issues plaguing Miles there towards the end at LSU were indictments that that really carry over and scare people who have uh, you know, far, far less resources than LSU does. You know, when you talk about the way he was recruiting or you talk about talent development or, or offensive philosophy, the reason why I think young coaches are the order of the day right now is because they tend to be able to get more out of less. And they tend, oh man, that was a terrible <laughs> pun and I'm sorry. Um, they tend to, they, they tend to have the ability to look at incoming trends and, and really not be married to concepts, playbooks, anything, right? They, they want to change. They want to spend the offseason trying to iterate on themselves. And um, success breeds complacency. I think it's, uh, it was not a money issue. Obviously, Miles is very well paid at LSU, and so I don't think it was that he was holding out for another big fat job in terms of like a deal. Um, I think it's a, it was just a matter of not really finding a fit at the particular spots. And age is a concern. I, I, th- I just think that there's a – and maybe Tommy Tuberville will get around to being super you know, transparent and honest about his time at Cincinnati that, as a good example. You can, you can look at that Cincinnati job with Luke Fickle and, and even Butch Jones and coaches like that, and you could look at that job with, with Tommy Tuberville. You have to maintain a certain level of aggression that I think is just not – possible with younger coach where was hard with older coaches sometimes now all this said herm edwards did just land a p5 job so i guess we should learn never to say never well i I mean i think when we joke about the arizona state thing it has to be an outlier we have to just treat that job (laughs) we have to we have to treat everything that's going on in tempe as its own unique circumstance i mean I, i really feel the same way about about Lovey Smith and, and Illinois. And I think that the connect the, you know, the connection there, um, 
is that you they were looking to go far far out of the out of the norm you, there are two programs that feel like um and this is more illinois than arizona state but two programs that feel like they have to do something different to be competitive in their division and their conference um i personally think at arizona state when you start out flat and you just look at what they have available proximity to los angeles what they can offer that it's probably easier to win at arizona state than it is at illinois i think that's fair to say um but they brought in NFL people with connections. Um, they they're trying to be contrarian. I mean, it's just that, that I, and that's always you know. By just, and large, though, I guess what I'm trying to say is, in the athletic director community and the coaching community, those are looked at not as that is not an emerging trend. Is what I guess I'm trying to say. They're flat out saying, "Look, this is this is weird." And by and large, if you go and interview for a good G5 job, trying to get to a P5 job, they're going to look for a young, innovative, aggressive, good recruiter. Yeah, and I mean, that said, five of, I think, 13 power conference jobs went to guys who were current or former P5 head coaches. So, I mean, it's not, you know, he like in another year or two, who the heck knows, but it's doubtful. It's very, very doubtful that if he's holding out for a P5 job that he will end up uh, employed in that regard in the way he wants to be employed. So, um, you know, it, it is... And I mean, it, it's, you know, this is where I, I kind of do the, my team test. Like I can talk up, I can say, you know, he still has a lot to offer. You know, he, he can still recruit. He can still build a physical mentality that hasn't gone away. He still won a hell of a lot of games at LSU and almost lived up to his recruiting rankings. Most years, he never exceeded them and he couldn't exceed Bama, but he wasn't terrible at his job. And so I can say all that. Uh, if you asked me if, you know, my team fired its coach tomorrow and would I take less miles as my head coach? I'd say, hell no, give me somebody else so i you know that there is that i understand when last miles was fired i think the question was where would he go and fit and win right away that you thought would be that you, you thought less miles though that works and i don't we just never came up with one of those spots look this isn't minnesota was about as close as i i got on that one but, and you look at minnesota they seem, be, they seem to be pretty happy with their hire right and you look at what minnesota was able to do oregon goes in a different direction and fleck ends up in their laps i mean it's it's that's that's such a better fit it's not even close we think we think it is i mean he also didn't win last year and miles probably probably would have recruited about as well as flex so technically i guess we don't know yet but it feels like it's going to be a very nice fit so um, i guess you know i have a tough time thinking that that miles in a five-year run would would outshine fleck in a five-year run but we'll find out um this isn't unique to less miles either this is just sort of the way that that college football is going. I mean, we saw it with Houston nut in a similar situation, although with less acclaim and no national championship. Um, I think the bigger difference was nut exited a situation at Ole Miss in which he was just denounced publicly and privately for running a program into the ground. Whereas that wasn't the case with miles. Miles was, you know, lukewarm in certain spots and it refusing to change. But LSU at its worst was not being run into any kind of ground. It was just not evolving the way that, it's boosters and people wanted it, you know, they, they, they want an Alabama competitor, right? They didn't want, they didn't want a right. pretty good eight and four to 10 and two team that cycled through and went one, you know, one and four against Alabama you know, every five years, which is actually less than what they've got or more than what they've, they've done. But, uh, um, all right. <laughs> so if you're last miles, let's put it this way. Because I'm going to bridge this into a, qu- a question about Bob Davy, and Bob Davy's definitely, a, a, you know, of the Centrum Silver crowd who came back in. Um, it's it's not impossible, but I think that you know, look at Frank Solich, right? 
I think you have to be, I think there's, I can, I can come out and say some of this stuff. He bombed a lot of interviews, Les did. He just did not, he had not been out on the market for a long time. Maybe it's, you know, sort of the metaphor of the first time dating after a, you know, you were widowed or, divorced <laughs> right. for, you know, 30 some odd years. It was just all sort of wonky for him and it just didn't work out. And I think that over time you have to constantly revise how you do things, how you approach things, or you risk becoming outdated. And I think that's what happened to guys like Miles and Nutt. Um, A.W. Mueller says, New Mexico head coach Bob Davey was recently given a month-long suspension. What does that even mean when it's in the middle of the offseason? Um, so what that means is about what you expect. It's very little. Um, obviously, he's not going to miss any game prep or anything like that. Um, head coaches, uh, college football, FBS levels, a year-round job, as we know. Um, yep. It is exceedingly tacky and disingenuous for New Mexico to give him the suspension when they did. It follows recruiting. It is really before um, anything of merit would happen in the next cycle. And I know I think they have spring practice going on right now or they're about to start. That is of the really – if you had to miss something, that's what you miss. All right. It's of little, right. it's, it's a very little impact. I've always laughed when head coaches are suspended. It's a lot harder to do in the NFL. Um, or it's, I'm sorry. It's a lot harder on the, on the franchises. Like when Sean Payton was suspended for the saints, um, the amount of time that he was suspended and the, I guess the, the, the sort of severity of that basically said that, Hey, in no way, shape or form, will you have any contact with, with players, with assistants and managing this team in any way, shape or form. Whereas, um, here he just can't go to the building for a little while. Right now. And really any large scale executive decision isn't going to get made in, in the late February, early March timeframe anyway. So it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. I, my first thought when I saw that he was suspended, my first thought was they're going to, they need a little time to get their ducks in a row so they can fire him. Um, I don't believe that as much as I did then, just because this started coming out a few months ago and they waited until January to suspend him or early, whenever that was, um, time, time is just a theory right now. But, um, so uh, there's still that possibility, I guess, that they didn't want him right. around uh, you know, to face any more liability if they ended up firing. What, how, there, there is that possibility. But if he comes back and then it's like everything is normal, uh, that's really crappy. And um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I, I don't. I, it doesn't really feel like it's worth it for me to put yourself out on a line from a PR standpoint for Bob Davey, but. I mean, we'll see. It, those are, it was pretty, well, I guess I was, it was pretty bad allegations. It was just pretty like times have changed and he's still acting old school, basically. Like he's like, he's still in 1979 or something. Uh, and, and I don't know why you would suspend that instead of actually just going ahead and firing him and, and finding him a new guy, but who knows? We haven't, we haven't heard the whole story. Maybe something else comes out, uh, in that regard. It looks pretty I, I bad though at the moment. Gonna, it, it, this is, yeah, it looks very bad. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, present tense, future tense, all that we'll see. But right now it, it does not look good. Um, at D Hensman, our friend Don Hensman with the uh, John Cusack holding the stereo above his head. Uh, oh, no, wait, hold on. As I zoom in, uh, say anything, post? Uh, say anything only with uh, a Jason mask on his face. Uh, so best avatar of the day. Uh, what if against all odds, this Arizona state model works? What other programs could you see adopting oh, a model Jesus. going forward? So, Oh my God. So uh, the, the model itself, like theoretically, if you were, 
if you just like looked at, laid out all the components of uh, what a football program consists of and you organize and you wanted to just organize them from scratch without knowing very much in theory, the thought of offense runs offense, defense runs defense and head coach uh, recruits and, and struts around as face of program. None of that is really all that far away from like the Mac Brown style of coaching. Right. I mean, he, he obviously had a role to play in game planning and all that. And I'm right. sure Herm Edwards will too. But it really wasn't that far away from what we envision as the CEO coach. Um, it was just that they tried to make it sound extremely different by a saying all this, like he's, this is a role and this is a role and this is a role saying that. And then also B by deciding Herm Edwards was a good person to hire. Nobody else had decided had, had come up with that in the last 10 years. So, um, you know, in, in that sense, it's really not that different than a Mac Brown style. And of course that can work if you recruit well enough, uh, or if you hire assistants well enough. Now first uh, coming right out of the gates and basically saying, we're going to keep both coordinators and Herm's going to run the show and then they lose both coordinators within a month that that was certainly not great but the hires themselves haven't the assistant hires haven't been that bad um and and so if herm is good then it can work uh my my problem all along is that somehow you reach the conclusion that herm is good uh and all this that I, i'm struggling with that but we'll see it can what do we know about this 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 innovative uh revolution in the way a college football program is run. What do we actually know? That, uh, that is basically, sound, it sets the, the head coach up to be a CEO. At the end of the day, that's basically what they did. They tried right. to make it sound revolutionary, but that's what they yeah. did. So how is that different than almost all of the successful programs that we know about? I mean, we, it's hard to get into the Crystal Palace in Tuscaloosa, but there are so many assistants that have cycled through and, and they implement so many of the, of the strategies that are used by Alabama Saban styles or the Meyer style. Maybe Meyer's a better example here. How is that any different or, or so far, I think the root of the question is could an NFL, a career NFL coach come in and, and, and create a new trend of career NFL coaches applying a lot of sort of, you know, gobbledy jargon to college football and finding success. I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. Yeah. I don't think he's going to do anything that we're going to stand back and go, wow. Like it, it, this, I have a tough time predicting that anything that Arizona state has, has said so far without showing any kind of proof of concept. And I know that SB nation, we're going to go out there and a couple other, I, I mean, I know for a fact, five or six other media outlets are headed out there in the spring to kind of scratch at this and dig at it a little bit and say like, All right, what do you actually mean? Like, let's, let's take apart a press release and like, what is it that you're doing? That's so revolutionary until we know something that we can kind of hold in our hands and say, wow, you know, the sun devils are really changing. You're not going to get the kind of acclaim and, and attention that like turn of the millennium Oregon got right. right. Or Boise or, you know, the, the schools that Bill and I push all the time as being innovators who fight against, you know, you know, who who are ahead of a paradigm shift it's just like i think it was just a really weird press release let's be honest this was mac brown of texas with with uh nba jargon involved um, the bottom line is this i don't care how much you i don't care how fancy it looks or how how you know different you're trying to position yourself in the media landscape with us you have to recruit and you have to develop you have to find a way to take those developed recruits and then it creates some sort of system at Arizona state that's going to be effective in division play. It's that's it. I mean, Boise, Oregon uniforms, turf, 
you know, contrarian recruiting philosophy, JUCO style, Kansas State, Bill. You find good players and and you win with them. And the Arizona State thing strikes me as so far from the football facts, like the actual <laughs> football part. It just it's all it just looks like a giant marketing deck. So. It basically, it came across as, <clears throat> yes, we're hiring Herm Edwards, but don't worry, we're not going to ask him to do anything with the football. Uh, that's That really kind of is how it came across, and that's... Um, now, maybe they had to, though. Maybe they had to because of people like me, because when Lovey got hired at Illinois, I laughed, and, and a lot I was not alone in my laugh. Well, um, they didn't have to hire him, though. That well, they, they, didn't have to, they, didn't, they also didn't have to that. fire a... A staff that had, was was slowly making gains by going out and working the recruiting territories and building connections and doing what you have to to like scrap it together at Illinois. They went out and bought a flashy new car with a, you know a terrible safety record. Um, but when you hire, if you're Ray Anderson and you hire your ex client who has no college experience, I guess you have to trot something out. Uh, otherwise, we would just take it apart. But uh, I was going to say we did. We took it apart anyway. Yeah. yeah I mean, maybe um, maybe he should have just hired him. And then two years from now, we talk about how he's applied new ideas and, and they're starting to show their effectiveness. That's the other thing, too, Bill. You know this. Whatever they say this spring, like whatever they whatever it is that they trot out that's so innovative, it's not going to matter this fall. It's going to be like two yep. or three years before you see some sort of proof of concept out of Arizona State. So we get to make fun of them for, you know, at least another, <laughs> at least another Olympic cycle. And, and by the way, uh, just because I feel this needs to be stressed every time uh, he gets compared to Lovey Smith, Lovey Smith, three times 11 wins or more and a Super Bowl. Herm Edwards, zero times 11 wins or more. And, and so, neither, you know. I think, are particularly attached to like, I, I think neither, neither's resume translates to college success. No, and that was, I mean, the Illinois thing was, I mean, I, I, I could talk myself into Lovey more than I could talk myself into Herm because of the more success thing and because of the fact that he's been in football in the last 10 years and not just on TV. But um, it was still when a new AD gets hired at Illinois and he immediately says, you know, I got my man and he hires Lovey. Smith. It was kind of scary. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Scary for Illinois. Uh, hey, Bill. Speaking of K-State, at Clineron1 asks, when Lord Snyder leaves us, what's the actual, in asterisks, realistic chances that we get Brent Venables to come home to head coach? Um, I would like to point out as well, just maybe on my timeline, uh, the SB Nation blog, Shaking the Southland, immediately responded with a mock-up of a flag. What flag is that? Is that the Gadsden flag? Or the Gadsden flag is come and take it. Yeah. Um, it's a picture of Brent Venables with a cannon under it. I think it's the Gadsden flag that says come and take it. Um, uh, bravo, bravo, Clemson. <laughs> um, well, at this point, I don't know why we would think it's realistic that he goes anywhere to be a head coach. Correct. Uh, it's, it's he starts he out Chad started. Morris, Chad Morris, man. Well, I mean, he's he's almost reached Bud Foster territory here. Um, and so may, if he is interested, then certainly there is a lot of, you know, hometown kind of draw to coming back to, to Kansas state. Uh, so sure. If he's interested in being a head coach, that would be one of those things where you could almost get like a sentimental discount kind of thing, um, by asking him to, to come home and all that. But I, until he actually drops the hint that he's interested in being a head coach, I've taken him off the table. Here's my new thought. Nothing against Brent Venables. Interviewed him twice. I don't think I don't buy the rumor that he's too unpolished to be a head coach because I know some unpolished head coaches. <laughs> All right. So scratch that. 
Um, I don't think that he his dream job is being defensive coordinator at Clemson, but he damn sure is comfortable and happy because if you are a DC, you want to be a DC at a place like Clemson because they're going to pay you an ass load of money, and now they're recruiting at the very top of college football. I mean, you're not losing kids. Right. You're not losing kids if you're representing Clemson unless you're yeah. talking about maybe Bama, and that's it. Or you're, I guess Jordan, yeah, I guess Kirby now, but. Um, He's basically getting paid like a like a head yeah, coach. This is this is why we're really close to this it. is why. And to go back to Morris for a second, why the Morris thing looks so smart in hindsight for Clemson. Chad Morris is now a head coach in the SEC at a mid tier program, granted, but nonetheless, that's a good damn job. All right. I mean, I would rather coach at Arkansas than one of the Mississippi's or South Carolina or so on and so forth. Right. So he waited and waited and waited and specifically waited out an offer from Vanderbilt, if you remember, to become a head coach. And when he saw a job in SMU that was raw in his backyard, allowed him to put together resources and then and then sort of, you know, push himself, you know, uh, what do we call it? Like it was the perfect platform job, right? I think that Venables, if he wanted to, could sit out and wait for a long, long time unless you think that he doesn't even need to do the G5 stint. I personally don't see him doing a G5 job to get to like a K-State situation because he's older and also what's to stop, like what's, what stopped him in years in the last couple of years from going out there and pursuing an open top level G5. It just hasn't happened. Right. Like I think um, on the K-State side of this, I would ask with no offense to Venables whatsoever, why why are we focusing on alumni? Why are we focusing on on K State people? Why why be that reductive? I personally think the like, only, the, that's not the K State way. The K State way is to build like is to build Megatron out of scrap metal. You know, that's 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 what they do. So, so the theory is always going to be in that situation that, you know, he knows how it's done, how you win games. Right. There. That's, that's why you do that. But I would say that, yeah, you, when you limit your pool to guys with the DNA of the program in them, you're really, really, really limited in your options. Um, and sometimes that works out great, but, uh, but it does just anything that kind of voluntarily limits the pool of guys you're looking at. Um, just because you hired Ron Prince last time doesn't mean you'll automatically hire Ron Prince next time. And you should look from within, um, you know, that, that was, and, and this infects every fan base in the country. That was, uh, you know, my story of, uh, you know, back in Oh five, when Missouri is losing in, in the independence bowl to, uh, South Carolina big in the first half and people at a, a bar in Columbia are chanting Gary Barnett's name because they wanted Pinkle fired for Gary Barnett because Gary Barnett played for Missouri, just like they wanted to bring Jim Levitt back because Jim Levitt played for Missouri. Um, that is just, well, I mean, then Missouri went out and hired Kim Anderson to, to run its basketball program into the ground because he played for Missouri. So, um, yeah, so they, it's, it's, it can work, but don't limit yourself to yeah. that. Um, I just think that you're the idea. I think I think the entire thesis statement is off at K State, which is they're they're so obsessed with the fact that he's not going to be with us for much longer. Which is you know how you talk about you know an elderly loved one, which I, I, mean, right, he a grand, an, a I guess he yeah. is an elderly loved one, but um, <laughs> I, I don't mean this in the, the shedding the the corporal form. I just mean like you know the mortal coil, just just it's just a job, just a head coaching part. Um, stop trying to replicate Bill Snyder. I know that scares you because of what Ron Prince did, but you're not going to be able to do that. There are There's a methodology at play that I think transcends Snyder when it comes to K-State. That's fair to say, right? Look at Wisconsin. 
I think that's foolishly maybe what what Tennessee is trying to attempt a certain a certain school way trademark sign. You know, like mm-hmm. find someone who understands that. If I'm K State, what I'm going to go out and do is find one of find inside of coaching circles an aggressive remarkable talent evaluator because that to me is the core of k-state right Mm -hmm. it isn't so much pilfering the the juco ranks by the way i love how everyone just says like oh yeah i know how k-state wins they just recruit jucos like yeah they stop doing that they don't really do that all that much anymore if and if you rely on jucos 99 percent of the time your ass is out of a job in three years right Looking right, because you if, once you start relying on JUCOs, you you have to constantly rely on JUCOs. Yes. There's no turning back. This JUCO thing in K State, like that's not how they win. They win by they win by evaluating the hell out of a particular kind of two star, and they win by going in and actually having. And, and I don't know if they win games this way, but they have a very respectable. Uh, talent development program inside their walk-on right. system. Right? I, w- I would say that the development part is as important, more important than the actual evaluation part. Yes. Uh, I think that's where he stood out. I'm pulling up the, the rebuild story, the blueprint, blueprint for rebuild story that I wrote. God, almost four years ago. Jeez. Time really is a theory. Um, I'm, I'm pulling up the quote. Basically, the, I think this is what stands out um, over. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, so here's here's a quote from Snyder from that piece um, from four years ago when I interviewed him, assuming he was going to retire soon. Um, Let's see. So, all right, first quote is, I had all of our coaches make sure that our players define for their coaches what it is they can improve on today and what they are going to put focus on when they go onto the field. We didn't have a lot of guys. Locker room wasn't as big as it is now. I'd do it in there after every practice. I'd corner every guy. I'd put people at the door so they couldn't leave. I'd ask them what they tried to work on, what they were doing, and whether they improved. They thought it was tedious, I'm sure, but persistence is one of those intrinsic values. Over a period of time, they became a bit better because they realized this guy is not going to give up on this. I used to go into meeting rooms and I would take each guy in the meeting room and I'd ask them, what's important to you? Sometimes it was football or academics or family. I'd say, what can you do today to get better? They'd think about it and they'd answer and it'd be accurate and they'd get a little better. And that hasn't changed. Um, it, it, because he is capable of even at the age of 118 working 23 and a half hour days, um, and, and taking every single guy that what, what I, I have a, a good friend who went to K state. Um, and we talk all the time about like working for Bill Snyder is like an internship into like into hardcore coaching. You can't do it for very long. Apparently only Dana Dimmel can do it for very long. Um, <laughs> and now he's not doing it anymore. Uh, cause he got Dana Dimmel did it so long that El Paso looked attractive. Right. Uh, and that's basically, you are going to work all day and you are going to figure out, like talk to every single player every single day, how about just constant continuous improvement. Uh, and that's the only way you're going to make up the ground like they did. And so like to start to tile this back around to Venables, technically then, you know, a guy who understands what Bill Snyder did, uh, and how ridiculous it, uh, like how hard you have to work and just how m- much you have to work, a guy who understands that and is willing to follow that path. And maybe that's the way you emulate Bill Snyder. I just don't think that anybody can emulate Bill Snyder. I think he's just too unique and bit Brent Venables for all his strengths. Isn't Bill Snyder either. So it, he would have to take a different path to success. And, you know, again, anybody you bring in is going to take a different path to success. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think you have to limit yourself. 
No, it's just, again, nothing against Brent whatsoever. Just don't, you don't have to build your kingdom worrying about him or any other K-State graduate for that matter. I think it's about understanding the job more, more than it is about knowing the place. By the way, Manhattan's yeah. a lovely, lovely town. I've said that before. It's one of those schools that gets a really bad rap for being like a crappy ag town. And like, I've been to a lot of crappy ag towns in my day and I did not feel that way at all about Manhattan. I thought it was a neat little place. Um, um, you know what? I, I hope, I hope Snyder coaches forever. <laughs> we talk a lot about it. it. It is the number one or maybe number two behind like persistent Wisconsin questions that we get in the mailbag of this just unease from K-State fans. I think you have to lean into it. Don't move away from it. Um. Uh, let's see here, Bill. Yeah. Where are we going next? Uh, I got one that's pretty. It's something we've covered before. We can cover it pretty quickly. But our friend Kyle Rather at Kyle Rather. Uh, what what happens first? A a G five playoff champion. B players p- paid above board. C Nick Saban retires. Nick Saban retires because that's the only one that's actually going to happen. What was the first one? Say again. A G five playoff champion, not just a participant, but a champion. But we could even oh, just say word. Okay, we scratch that. Participant. No. Yeah, but yeah. even if we lower no. it to G five team getting in the playoff. Okay. Yeah. Saban retiring, and then what was the other option? Players pay, paid above board. Yep. Yep. That was pretty easy. Um. Next, here's here's one we can. Uh, that, that is a change of direction, although it's an Alabama question or uh, at least an Alabama person. Our friend at Ricky RBR, Ricky Muncie at Roll Bama Roll. Is there any way to index SBN Bill C's vast trove of data so as to track the relative success slash failure of offensive and defensive coordinators to see over time who improves things versus who comparatively treads water? So I'll take that one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this is actually. I need to step back and re so I, I attempted something like this like a few years ago and, and like so many other things, like what kind of coaching background is more likely to lead to success. A bunch of questions that I asked and tried to dive into five, six years ago. Um, I need to circle back around to because five, six years ago, I only had like four or five years of data. And now I've got Oh five through 17. I've got 13 seasons worth of data and at least better ways to generalize what happened before that. So there are a lot of things I really need to circle, but I need to start looking through my old uh, varsity numbers columns at football outsiders to see what I was looking through in those first few uh, years where I didn't have enough data to do it. Cause now I might have enough data. Okay. Wow. That was a quick, quick answer there. Um, trying to figure out which one i want to go to next um i like this one at b texans to what extent does having success in other sports help a college football program succeed money from men's basketball must be a little help but what about non-revenue dimensions um huh i don't think it does i think the best case you can make is exposure um for sort of the overall brand coaches love to talk Mm. about brands now (laughs) Um, I don't know if it has a ton though, B Texans. I think that, um, you really are talking about two categories, men's basketball, because that's another revenue generating sport and then everything else. Um, the one that kind of, the, so, so when I think about everything else, I first think about be just having being from where I, where, where I'd be from, um, like baseball success in the SEC is different because they, everyone's already an SEC program. But if you just look at the sport of college baseball, I don't think Fresno State or Oregon State or Cal State Fullerton or Vanderbilt. Oh, man. Yeah, fan, I mean, that's the obvious one. <laughs> Walk to the stadium. Um, I don't think that affects their football program at all. Mm. Um, I was also just trying to think of programs that are dominant in the College World Series that 
don't have major football or basketball presences, but those are the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. Rice. Yeah. Rice. Um, now I will say I've seen, I've seen a rising tide float all the ships at programs like Houston. Um, just having been around Houston a lot, I think that they became more successful in baseball because there was an investment in facilities based on football's importance. They were able to generate and fundraise across the board, which allowed for better facilities at the university of Houston, which allowed for, um, better, uh, yeah, I, I don't know recruiting exactly, but it became a more desirable place for baseball players to go in a state where there were a lot of baseball players to begin with. So maybe, but that's that's the reverse of what B Texans is asking. Is not is not football definitely helps flat out. It does. Right. In fact, <clears throat> when I look at certain other sports at like like Tennessee's baseball program is really bad and always has been, and it always blows my mind. Um like I, I think when you're a dominant big, you know, when you're a big time program in football or college basketball, it definitely helps recruit to sports where they don't know what, like, I'll give you a good example. I have a friend who's a women's tennis coach at the collegiate level in the sec. And when they go internationally bill, and I don't know a lick about tennis, but when they go and recruit these kids in Switzerland or in, you know, um, the Netherlands or France, they are. They do tell them about like American college football and American college basketball and sort of like the campus culture. So that does work. <laughs> um, but I don't think if you're like if Quinnipiac or um, you know one of the Sunnis has a badass year in men's tennis, if that's going to really bleed into the football program, unless you can. Do you, I mean, no, I, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I think that's okay. Let me put it this way. This is something we were just talking about that rebuild piece. I also talked to Mark Stoops for that piece, um, Kentucky. Um, he, in that interview that I had with him and I basically, I would say the interview you have with every single new football coach who goes to a school where somebody's good at something, UConn, Duke, yeah. uh, on and on and on and on. They are going to say it's awesome. It can only help. It's going to, mm-hmm. it, there's brand, 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 winning culture, blah, 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 blah. The evidence, uh, it doesn't exist <laughs> uh, it almost exists it, it, almost the opposite evidence exists yeah. you know and so I, I just i would love to think it does um and i think there is what you, your houston example like the, the rising tide thing where you just make all facilities better and you you uh you just raise a, a crap ton of money and uh you make everything better and you hire good coaches who can recruit then everything gets better but that doesn't have anything to do with the smaller schools it means football's also doing better because it's well supported i mean i can tell you right now i know three schools for a fact um duke kansas and arizona that are basketball powerhouses they use bass they use the like the um i don't know what you would call it the heart of conference play in recruiting mm-hmm. When when they engineer campus visits, it is always around a home game Saturday, and about yeah. the basketball arena. Um, and I want to say that Calipari even talked about this publicly about wanting to to bring football recruits into a big basketball environment, like a big home game environment. I think he did. He's one that's very outspoken about that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think it has any return on that whatsoever. I don't think that, you know, I, I think Arizona was successful because of Rich Rod. I think Duke was successful in finally breaking the Duke mold of football because of David Cutcliffe. I don't think I had a damn thing to do with the fact that, like, no offense to Shashevsky, like, I mean, it's cool that they got to visit campus and there was a big thing going on. But, I mean, I just – a lot of that's overblown. Yeah, agreed. I, don't, yeah, I mean, um, I've got one. Um, yep. At Naive Berserk asks – 
Describe what coaching interviews look like. Do they prepare presentations? Is it just like any job interview? Strengths versus weaknesses? Why do you want the job, et cetera? Or do they like break down film together during it and talk schemes? Um, the short answer is yes. They do all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know about strengths versus weaknesses. And I don't know necessarily if you stump quite the same way that you would for a regular job. Mm. Um, I'm kind of laughing. Like I'm laughing. Um, all the jobs I've ever interviewed for, I don't necessarily think it's the, – the, the stakes are very different. How about that than a normal yeah. job interview? <laughs> and so um, I will say this. There is a there's a trend to be on and to be – there's probably going to be a little bit more energy than you would realize in a good job interview for a major college position. It's not quite two people sitting in a chair very, you know, methodically. It's, it's, it's not that at all. Um, so specifically in job interviews, one of the things that they do look at isn't necessarily scheme. So they're not going to say on third and eight, we like to run this, but they do like to talk a little ball, right? Yeah. Um, they, they like to kind of know where you're coming from in terms of broad scales and broad strokes and how that applies to the kind of people that they get, you know, that they would normally recruit. Um, and then one of the things that they do like to talk about a lot is personnel. And so I know of three job interviews specifically the last five years where I was told like, yeah, I came in the coach was like, I came in with my depth chart for coaches that I wanted to get coaches. I thought I could get and coaches that I knew would come with me. So they do come in with some presentations and they do have recruiting uh, presentations. That's becoming very popular, as you might expect. Um, they come in and basically say, hey, um, like this is how I want to attack the city of Atlanta or, you know, Dallas or whatever. And specifically, this is our track record at School X. So um, that's, I feel like that was still kind of a generic answer, but it's um, – it's both very much like what you would expect and not um, because sometimes – I will say this. The, the, the locations of the interview are always uh, very different than the locations of probably any <laughs> job interview you've ever had. How about that? Uh, airport hangers at 1 in the morning, um, inside of a private jet in an airport hangar at 1 in the morning. How's that? I don't think you've ever applied for a job in that kind of circumstance. Um, when I got hired at SB Nation, um, I went to lunch with the vice president of the company. Like it at one o'clock, like a normal hour of the day. So I had a quick, uh, I had a bunch of emails and a phone call. <laughs> I never left uh, Columbia. Um, so as far as coach interviews, <clears throat> now naturally we think about head coaches in that regard, but um, as far as like assistants, uh, this is a pretty, I, I, one of the more fun interviews that I've read from a coach in the, in recent months has been the transcript of James Franklin at AFCA, uh, that, that football scoop transcribed with Willie Fritz and some others. It was and Mike London and some other guys. It was a pretty interesting piece. Uh, but, it, um, it, it was basically like an assistant coach asking Franklin, what's the best way to build your network? Uh, his answer was your resume means nothing. I've never looked at a resume ever. Your references mean nothing. I'm not calling your references. I'm calling the people that I know. I'm not working with someone 16 to 17 hours a day. If I don't know them or someone that I trust knows them. Yeah. Um, a little reminder that by the time you become a head coach, you have worked with a bunch of different people and, uh, and on probably on quite a few different staffs. And um, that it really becomes a who you know situation. And there was a quote, I, hell, this might have been Franklin too from a while ago, basically saying like the best possible way to build your network is to stay broke as long as possible uh, because that means you're working for cheap uh, and, and you're probably getting more likely to get in on some decent staffs if you're willing to not you know make money, which not the healthiest approach in the world. 
but yeah, it really becomes like how many people can you work with and for, uh, and, and make a good impression on. And that's how you go up. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's not healthy, but it's the way it, it, it is what it is, I guess. All right. You got one. Yep. Um, let me pull it back up. The, um, beef McLarge huge at Gunhaver 4077. Mm. Um, uh, it says Jason Kirk's newsletter this morning. Our, our I assume that's the uh, what do you call it, read option. Yep. Our, our college football news, newsletter. I haven't read it yet. Uh, Jason's newsletter this morning is about failing attendance. Why do you think this is? Personally, I think it's the cost. I wanted to go to a TCU game, and it would have cost almost two hundred dollars for decent but not nosebleed seats. SMU and uh, and North Texas tickets were over a hundred dollars without parking. Um, yeah, so. I brought this up because I, I did have I, my, my father of all people sent me an article about cricket that I'm going to tie into this in a second. But uh, you know, pe- yeah. So people's theories overall are basically right. Like the, I mean, cost is certainly part of it, but it's also the fact that people aren't as willing to shoulder that cost because of the convenience of watching at home. Right. I mean, that's, that's what we always say. And it's, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, there is a factor, uh, as I put on my, uh, hippie liberal hat, uh, so be warned. Um, cricket is is seeing major attendance shifts uh, because of the weather that is kind of destroying the sport and making cancellations more prevalent. And um, I'm not going to use any keywords here, just to say that weather is becoming more of an issue. Okay. And if you think back to, because we're, we're, we're basically making a humongous deal, and it, and it did, this is worth talking about, the attendance fall, drop. We're talking about, what was it, 1% to 2% drop? I would say that a chunk of that, I, this is, this is, I'd like to write about this, but I have to d- 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 cross a lot of T's and dot a lot of I's before I can, so it's perfect for a podcast where you can speak uh, less educated. Um, yeah. I'd be willing to bet that part of this is because of weather. Uh, cancellations and postponements and moving games around and the things that happen on those short term basis that are kind of kill that will that a you know kill some games but in, uh, you know just affect games. Um, I would also even if it doesn't affect the game time and when it kicks off, you know, back in that 2015 Missouri season where Missouri's offense completely fell apart and everything else that was going on, that was like there in within that year, there was the hottest game that I had been to in a, in quite a while, the coldest game that I had been to in quite a while and the wettest game that I had been to in quite a while. And if I didn't live in Columbia, I would have probably missed at least one of those three and maybe all three. Um, and so obviously weather is not new. Weather has always impacted things, but if the, if the weather if weather issues increase even slightly, that's going to affect your attendance at least slightly, I think. And we're only talking about a one or two percent difference overall. So I'll take my hat off now and, and put that aside. So you think global warming is why attendance is bad? <laughs> See, you just made the, the the crappy talking points version of it, and I I did I spent a lot of very valuable time there beating <laughs> around the bush. That's an interesting theory that I'm going to let you live with by yourself on that one. Um, one to two percent. We're talking about like if it affects it, zero point two percent. That's part of the con- contribution. But anyway, I guess um, I think the contributing factors are are varied, and um, it's it's like nailing jello to a wall. So I guess yes. to that end, there's pretty much any explanation has at least an iota of merit right now. But the biggest issue is. I don't trust the numbers to begin with because I know specifically how attendance numbers are created. So give me a break. Um, 
Right. If we were to honestly report attendance, attendance across the board would, would quote unquote drop like 12% immediately. So just because, you know, because of that, but anyway, I think specifically uh, there are issues with overpricing and outpricing. I think the television has created a model that the actual consumer isn't really enticed to go. We've talked about that a thousand gajillion times, right? Everyone in America has an HDTV now and all that jazz. But I think it's also the matter of like, one of the things it's probably I've heard you complain about constantly and you live in you live in the city yes. in which you attend these games is the time. Yeah, I think that's a huge part. I, I mean, I, just in the SEC alone, since the network came online with ESPN, the overwhelming majority of their of the inventory has shifted to 6 p.m. or later. Okay, so by the way, it was three percent. I think I saw the drop of an average of fourteen hundred fans and saw like one point four percent. So it was three percent. It wasn't one or two, but it's still not thirty percent. But I just I laugh at all this honestly. I think the sports the sport is fine. The metrics are in a bad the metrics are in a bad way. And how you understand? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's (laughs) it's how you measure it's how you measure things that matters right now. I mean, the idea that the sport is hurting because their cord cutting is a phenomenon. No, no, you're creating false equivalency. Um, The sport is fine. Um, I I am dubious of all attendance numbers again because they're made on sort of really rash estimates and season ticket. season ticket sales factor into that. They don't actually count every human body that's going in and out. Um, I will say there is a certain tepidness among certain age brackets um, to attend every home game. If you're within 90 to, I don't know, 200 miles of your alma mater, I think that is slightly on the decline Mm -hmm. um, in certain age groups. I think young alumni are still going to games. That's, it's what they do. I think people who are married with children, and they live, you know, they, they've got kids under the age of 10 and they live 150, 250 miles away from their alma mater. It's probably not realistic that the majority of those people are even interested in going to six home games a year, let alone, right. the, and which kind of leads me to my next thing is it's often cost prohibitive. Um, yeah. One of the things that we are seeing now in the professionalization of amateur athletics is you've got to pay essentially what it would be called a a personal seat license, a PSL. If this was like, you know, an NFL or hockey or basketball team, you know, NBA or NHL, you're now seeing like, um, what are the founders, founders club, loyalty foundation, um, you know, tiger club, whatever it is at your particular school. Um, you're now paying for the right to pay for tickets. You're now paying for the right to get a parking right. pass that costs maybe maybe two thousand or five thousand dollars a season, depending yep. on where it's at. Again, that's not the majority of fans, but the overall game day experience is expensive. It's expensive to take a family of four. It's expensive to drive. It's expensive to travel. And I think in a lot of cases, it's expensive to then make overnight plans because so much of college <laughs> is based on the towns as well. You know. I'll give you a great example, Bill. Um, I just found out that Southwest is running a bunch of flights this year from Atlanta to Nashville or and vice versa, you know, Nashville, Atlanta. So that's silly in a way because it's a three and a half hour drive. <laughs> but the, the flights are so damn cheap that I could literally wake up in the morning, get on a Southwest flight because I think it, it's like 22. It's like or maybe not that, but it's it's something like ridiculous time in the air. I think it's like 40 minutes. Yeah get off the plane, go to watch my favorite sports team play in Atlanta and then get back on the plane and come home. But I have no desire. It's not like I tie my fandom of the Braves or the Falcons to 
like I've got to go get a beer at this place. And I love Atlanta. Like I don't want to be, I'm not trying to besmirch anything. I'm just saying like if you're a diehard Houston Rockets fan or, you know, the Yankees for that matter, you're probably not normally tying a city experience, town experience to a game. And a lot of college fans, that's, that's exactly what they do. Right. Like, Oh man, we're going to Athens to see the dogs play. Um, and we're going to spend all weekend in town. And that is expensive, man. I'm a parent (laughs) of two and I get, you know, people always ask all the time, like, you know, would you go to these games? You know, would you bring your whole family here and tailgate? Um, you know, I always say no because my wife and I have no interest in, in pulling for alma mater too. But it's it's also a matter of like, no, I, I mean, I always ask folks like, how, damn, like, what y'all spend this weekend? <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, we're going down to Tuscaloosa for the game and uh, blah, 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 blah. And they start talking about all this stuff and I'm just racking it up in my head. I'm like, you can drop three grand on a big SEC weekend. Easy. Easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Airbnb, gas, food, the whole deal. So I think yeah. all of that factors in. I think there's this... I mean, then on the far end of the spectrum, why are we shocked that if like, like what's Mac attendance look like Tuesday night sucks. It's not a good night to go to a football game. Right. I mean, they, they openly said, well, and I mean, for this figure though, they probably aren't really Mac attendance probably didn't drop in the last three years because it's, this is, this is a way of life for them. So that's probably not that, that dropped a while ago if it dropped at all. But yeah, no, that's, um, that was done specifically for television, <clears throat> not yeah. attendance. And that should tell us something about what's actually important here. But before we change topics, quote from The Guardian, just to, to back me up because, you know, you left me hanging out there to drive by myself. Say, uh, it's, it's a tough time saying that college football attendance is down for global warming, but and, let's, let's take this walk. In the UK, and this is the UK where, where weather is, is you know different, obviously. In the UK, the governing bodies of cricket and golf are growing increasingly concerned about the effect of extreme weather related to the word, I'm not, the phrase I'm not going to say. Uh, according to the England and Wales Cricket Board, 27% of England's home one-day internationals have been played with reduced overs since 2000 because of rain. Now, um, I'm pretty sure that means abbreviated matches because freaking cricket has to have different terminology for everything but basically yeah they've been delayed or 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 shrunk down because of rain at least 175 days of play god cricket's weird uh equivalent to around 16,000 overs cricket's weird uh, have been lost in five of the past 10 years in the county championship some of the most famous golf courses in the in the country including st andrews are a threat from related uh, coastal erosion, according to the report from the Climate Coalition. Obviously, that's not something that ties to football uh, erosion necessarily. But I I, I think that, that there have been enough uh, increasing cancellations and weather delays that it makes a difference. But I have no proof of that. That's why I'm saying it on a podcast. Um, okay. All right. That's, that's it. I mean, uh, aren't the governing bodies of soccer the same people who thought it was a good idea to hold a World Cup in Qatar? Like, <laughs> well, those those aren't the British. The, the British governing body didn't make that decision, but that they are, have made, I'm sure, plenty of bad decisions through the that years. That is true. All right, um, Bill, let's do two more and get out of here. Uh, it's been a grind of a day, but we do appreciate y'all's questions, sort of pushing us through. I've scrolled up and down so many times. I've I know lost it's my tough place. when you it's tough when you get down to just picking the last two. Oh, here's a here's a fun here's a fun <laughs> one. You ready? Yep. Tom Stevenson at, oh, yeah. at TC Stevenson one uh, is rice completely hopeless. No, 
I, I, is there a hopeless program in Division One? He, he he did that because my Rice preview went up this morning. Obviously, um, right. But is is there is there a completely hopeless program in Division One? No, it I mean, hard. I think, I think are really hard. The ethos jobs. of this show says no. <laughs> right. There are just very hard jobs that it's really hard to stay above water on. Um, so yeah, as far as Rice goes. The obstacles are very clear. I my two previews this week, and we can touch more obviously on Conference USA ne- next week. But uh, my two previews this week were were at UTEP and Rice, both very hard jobs. Um, one of the favorite, my favorite tidbits that I came up with uh, was on the the UTEP preview, uh, in which I point out. Let's see. So the last 16 games that Sean Cougar coached at UTEP, uh, he lost 13. The last 24 games that Mike Price coached at UTEP. He lost 20. The last 32 uh, games that Gary Nord coached at UTEP, he lost 28. All three of those coaches brought UTEP to bowls. Mike Price had them ranked twice, uh, but eventually you just get bowled over by how hard the job is. Like it's just, you have to have all, like I said, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted earlier. Um, First of all, that's the first time I've ever said that without saying T's dotted and I's crossed, but um, it's just, you have to. You have to so constantly stay swimming upstream and you can do it, but it's just so hard to do it for long. And that's the difference. It's not that rice is hopeless that four years ago, rice won conference USA. So you can't say that it's hopeless. It can obviously be done, but they've regressed every year since it's just so hard to stay on top. Maybe, you know, bringing in the one thing I'll say about UTEP and rice here is that the hires they made were incredibly sensible and logical. Bringing in uh, the guy with the most possible Bill Snyder DNA uh, to to set up a, a program of continuous improvement uh, at UTEP makes perfect sense because you're going to have to live on two stars and JUCOs and, and a bunch of guys because you just don't have a recruiting base. There's just not much around you. Um, you're going to have to rely on that and you're going to have to build those guys up. So uh, having a guy who knows the Bill Snyder way and who actually did pretty well at Wyoming, at least before bombing at Houston, um, that makes sense. And uh, hiring Mike Bloomgren uh, at Rice to be, and having him bring some Stanford assistants and a couple of former HBCU assistants, which I think was a lovely touch, uh, to basically figure out how to identify and develop talent at, at, with, at a, with a steeper hill to climb than most of the rest of your conference. That makes perfect sense. And I hope at least one of the two hires works out beautifully for them, even if that means they win big for a couple of years and then fade a little bit. I think Rice is, is poised for greatness. I'm just in a mood to make somebody feel good. How about that? I appreciate poised for that. greatness, Rice. Yeah, we'll go with that. I mean, Mike, I, I, I love his hires. I will say that it's a hard job, but I love the hires he nobody made. Nobody um, keep and, the receipt on that one. Um, <laughs> all right, do you want to pick the last one? Uh, let's let's yes. Um, oh, okay, yeah. We'll end with a very PAPN question from our friend Matt Smith at Matt Smith CFB. Um, haven't thought this through, so this is completely off the cuff. Well, welcome to the show. Um, but has the AAC's success, both on field and in branding, hurt the rest of the G5? Thinking mostly of the effect on the next round of TV deals. Huh. Hmm. We had a I mean, question buried in there, too, about, and we can get into this more next week when we get back on schedule, about th- that I think the QSA is doomed. It's not about what I think. The CUSA, like people within inside the conference have said, hey, this isn't working. It's not like, that's not my opinion. I'm telling you what, what people are telling me. Um, 
Right, who is it? The Middle Tennessee AD yeah. openly saying we need to, to just mash the Conference hey, USA and Sun Belt together. Like, yeah, this is not me like objectively. Like, hmm, I don't, I don't particularly care for the way they're conducting. No, this is like, hey, they're they're saying we're not, we're going to run out of money. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I think if anything, um, there's always going to be look. There's there's going to be some gradient to the division between P5 and G5. There's no way to prevent that, right? If you lopped. If you if you suddenly lopped the the or not I guess lopped off but like if you if you annexed uh, the American in and and um, everyone's dreams of the uh, of the Power Six by everyone I just mean the Mike Oresco and the people that work at the AAC if if suddenly it was a Power <laughs> Six all right what does that mean who's the highest who's the who's the next best team out Boise Fresno uh, yeah on average Boise for maybe sure. like yeah. La Tech when they make a run. Right. Okay. Sure. So there's always there's always going to be gradient. It's not going to be like you're 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 going to leave someone behind, right? Western un, undefeated Western Michigan or whatever, Northern Illinois, even though they go to the Orange Bowl and get killed, like that's going to happen. All right. Um. So I don't think you can blame the fact that the AAC is trying to invent, you know, trying to to push the the limits of what they're capable of. I think everyone should sort of aspire to that. I think one of the things the AAC was smart about was really bearing down and focusing on the fact of like we've got multiple programs in florida where football is good we have multiple programs in texas where football is good everybody else let's see what whatever one thing or two things we can do to help those other teams out and then i think navy was a smart move navy was like not a popular move but i think it was a really smart move i think it was smart for navy and i think it was smart for the conference yeah so I think if you're, I think it's less about worrying about what the AAC is doing. If you're conference USA or mountain West or, you know, mountain West, you're contending with some other situation, other geographic concerns, obviously, but time zone issues and things like that. You have to start thinking different. You have to find revenue where other people can't. And that's, that's the biggest challenge. And that's what they're sitting around worrying about right now. Not that, you know, not that Tom Herman had a really good run at Houston or that, Matt Rule had a really good run at Temple. They are worried about how can we show off because all of these conferences have good teams. That's fair to say, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jeff yeah, Brom was a, Jeff Brom jumped from the CUSA to the to to the Big Ten and is a great coach. Yeah, I mean, what I've always said about the the G five uh, Champions League idea would produce an inc- an outstanding ten or whatever team conference because there are always good teams in that uh, in each conference. It's just staying good is hard when you don't have money, among other things. It's um, I do think a reckoning is coming. I don't even think the AAC itself is safe. I think you have to figure out what you're going to do from here on out. And no one has really thought about it in a way that changes. I mean, college football is just plagued with old school thinking. <laughs> I mean, the only way we got a playoff was literally to let the Bulls figure it. The Bulls had to arrive at a conclusion we came to decades prior. <laughs> and, yeah. and, the, and the damn Bulls are still completely involved you know it's, it's so it wasn't like we all of a sudden woke up and evolved and in, and sometime in, in the 2060s we will decide that maybe player compensation is a thing we need to address more seriously i'll be dead i'll be, dead. I'll be very yep. dead um <laughs> oh if, if today doesn't kill us next week will but we'll be here regardless um uh that's uh the robot bill Connolly at sbn underscore bill c he is the uh inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system obviously if you're this far into the podcast you probably know that but I forgot to do this on the earlier open um go buy his books on Amazon give him money um I don't really have anything to ask for yet project x is um marching merrily along 
That's why I was in New York last week. Um, I'm back at home in Nashville. Um, next week, we'll both be in D.C. Oh, that's right. That's right. We have a writer summit, a uh, featured yes. writer summit at SB Nation, I guess. Um, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of this day goes. Um, that's about all I can say. <laughs> so, yes, Tuesday. Programming note, Tuesday is probably when we're recording next week. But, you know, you'll be fine either way. If we're here, we're making a podcast next week. How's that? We will be here by God. I believe. I think so too. Maybe. <laughs>